0: Part of the Media Ministry of Cornerstone Church, you can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org, or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to First Peter chapter three. I mean, looking at verses thirteen through seventeen this morning, Ricky. I appreciate you sharing that story. I want you to know that um, I don't know what the preacher of that day after Rich Mullins did that. But uh, preachers have made a living following music guys that said things, and then we had to ground it theologically. You know, so I can only imagine that pastor that day when Rich Mullen comes out and goes, man, you know, God's like a wild man, that that guy's starting to spin in his mind going, okay, now how do I tie this back to Scripture so I can make sure that we truly, truly are saying a correct statement here? Well, this morning we want to go to Scripture, and we want to uh, look at a call that God put upon our lives. How many of you know the word apologetics? You kind of know what that means. Just kind of raise your hand, okay? Uh, who are some apologetics of our day, or maybe that we're familiar with? Anybody have some names of? You know? Okay, yes, MacArthur. MacArthur, very much. C.S. Lewis, even though he's passed now, C.S. Lewis was that. Uh, if you've heard, and recently R.C. Sproul passed, and he he was a great apologist. Uh, current day, Lee Strobel. If you've ever read anything by Lee Strobel, Josh McDowell was kind of the era that I grew up in. All of these guys are not just pastors, are kind of ministers, but but they really have taken their life where um, they said, okay, I, I, I want when we come to the Word of God, I want to be able to kind of defend the truth of Christianity. Now. Because that's what the word means. Apologetics means to give a defense. Now, in one way, that's kind of a strange thing that God has called us to be apologists because we're going to see today that he's called every one of us, not just the rabbis and not just the, the Josh McDowell's and not just the R.C. Sproul's, but he's called all of us to actually be apologists, to be ready to give a defense of the hope that God has placed in us. Now, in one way, that seems kind of strange. Because how many of you really feel qualified to give a defense for God? I mean, how could we? I mean, what an impossibility for you and I to give a defense for God and his greatness, his might, and all those things. You and I, I don't care how much we studied. You could have a doctorate. You could have doctorates of doctorates. And you still would not be really worried to go out there and try to explain to people, well, here's, you know, just how God makes sense. So we're going to see today that that we're called to this mighty task of ready to give a defense. But Peter really kind of sinks it into for this hope that is in you. Well, now we're getting a little bit more to your life and my life. Today, if you have hope in Christ Jesus, not that your life is going perfectly well, not that you have the promise that tomorrow, that rainbows will come out and there's not going to be clouds, there's not going to be storms that it's just a smooth path and that there's never going to be trouble, none of us have that kind of forecast for our future. The Bible makes it real clear. It rains on the just and the unjust. It makes it real clear that just because we follow God doesn't mean that in this earthly life that everything is just going to go smooth and that it's just one big rose garden. No, the promise is that in the midst of life's ups and downs, the joys and the defeats, That God is right there with us, that he's gone before us, and that it is purposeful in our lives. Now, here's the difficult part. It's not so much that when the victories come that we can't see great purpose in that. You get the raise at work, or you get the job that you want, we're going, yes, God, go. But when you get fired, or somebody else gets the job, or whatever it is, and all of a sudden we see something, as we have seen in, in the... First Peter so far, sometimes when life's injustices come upon our lives, it's like, are we really to say, okay, God is using this with great purpose? That's really what Peter's been talking about. Because if we go back to that original scene, and we see that he's writing this to a multitude of churches throughout Asia Minor, uh, we've tried not to belabor the point, but remind us of that setting that he's writing to Christians that truly may have to give of their very lives in this persecution against the church. Nero, or Claudius, whoever happens to be the Roman ruler at this time, uh, if it's Nero and we think it's probably more, he has put the full blame of the burning of Rome uh, on Christians. He said, man, it was those Christians that did it. The historical setting here is very, very important because this is not a fun time to be a Christian. And yet Paul writes, man, I want you to be given, ready to give a ready defense for the hope that is in you. When you first see this word apologetics, even if it's a brand new word to you in the Christian sense, what other English word comes to mind when you look at that word apologetics? Apology. It's actually from the, same, it's from the Latin word, uh, uh, the Greek word first, but then the Latin, where we get the word apology. And yet, apologetics is almost the exact opposite in one way of what we think of as an apology. When I was growing up, an apology is something that, you know, I I had a sister. So you got a brother and a sister. And the word apology came out of my mother's mouth quite often. You go over there and you apologize to your sister. I mean, can you relate? And, And so, you know, she was expecting for somebody to say, you know, uh, tell, go apologize and say that you're sorry. And and never did we do that really with a a broken heart. I I can't remember a single time that I was a kid that I went over there in full repentance and said, you know, you, you are my sibling. You are blood of my blood. And you are my sister. And I can't believe that I have sunk to a level where I would strike you. Never once, never once did that thought cross my mind. No, usually, I'm telling you, you know, you, that, the grudging. And so when we think of this apology, usually we're thinking about saying that we're sorry for something, admitting our wrong, and asking for forgiveness. Well, that's not really what it means here. The word apologetics, and, and we're going to see it in verse 15. It's actually where we get the word in the New Testament in, in verse 15. Uh, it's rendered different ways in different translations, but basically, be ready to give a defense. Apologia is the Greek word, means you're ready to make a statement of why you not only feel this way, but why this is truth. And um, I don't know that that's what my mom always wanted. Because if if I was telling the truth to my sister, what would have come out of my mouth? Not I'm sorry, not I apologize, but I hit you because, and usually you hit me first. How many parents have have heard that before? That your only defense, you're given a defense for your action. My defense is, she hit me first. And all of a sudden, in your mind, there's a justice to that. And I'm not disagreeing with that. Okay, I'm really not. But here we see that this word is used to be ready to give a defense. And this word, this morning, is not that you're apologizing. You're not saying you're sorry. It's actually a very strong word. And Andy... Uh, it is one that, from a legal sense our, our lawyer, that you very much, because this is very much that you're going in there, as, as if I was called to the stand to give a defense, to tell the truth about what I saw. And so it's kind of a very much a legal term, and yet we use it today in this subject that he's been covering. Now, Peter has been covering for probably, what, the last four, five, six weeks as we've gone through chapter 2 and in the first part of chapter 3, about a life of submission. He talked first about a life of submission to governing authorities. He said, you don't have to agree with what the governing authorities do, but you, as a Christian, are to submit yourself to governing authorities. And we talked about that many, many weeks ago, how hard that is, and that day, how hard it is in this day when we disagree with, oh, man, that's not who I voted for, or this is not what I would have done. And yet, God says, okay, following me, following me. You submit yourself to the rulers that are there. And we could go back to Romans and we could see that he ties it into uh, that nobody is in power unless God has at least permitted it. Then he began to say, uh, talk about the workplace. I-, I want you, he said, if, if, if you're actually a business owner, I want you to very much be kind. We see that in Ephesians and other places, Colossians. But here in First Peter he says, okay, now if you are the servant, then you very much And you very much, you submit to those that are over you in a business setting. Chapter 3, we got into the husband-wife relationship. It wasn't male-female, it was husband-wives. He wasn't saying women submit to men. You won't find that in the Bible. Paul, Peter said the same thing. Wives submit in this role, a role of submission, to the role of leadership. Of your husband. This is the role that I've called you to do. He never said that women were less significant, less important. He just said this is the role that I call you to do. All of this is really hard for us, guys. Because by nature, we are people that have some sense of justice going on in our mind. And when we think that something is unjust, we want to rebel. And we do not want to submit. And so what he's calling us to is a very, very hard task. Now, as we get to... This is actually going to be kind of near the end of his argument. And look what he says in verse 15. We're going to come back and look at verse 13 and 14 in a moment. But let's jump ahead for just a second. And I want to show you this word where we get the word apologetics, this make a defense. And I want you to see it in use there in verse 15. But in your hearts has been kind of the basis of of everything we've said so far, that you cannot have the action truly until you have the attitude. You can't truly have an an action of going to my sister and apologizing if I don't have an attitude that that I'm really kind of, you know, I'm wrong here. And a repentance toward that. And so he starts off with what we've been saying all along, that it starts with an attitude and then it turns into an action if it is done authentically and if it is done as... Christ has called us to do. And he says the same thing here. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense, apologia, to to, to tell why you are doing what you're doing, to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. He said, be ready to give an answer to these authorities that are asking you to do things that are really not just, that you don't like, that everything within your human fiber wants to fight against. But he said, I want you to submit, and I want you to be ready if one of them says, what are you doing, crazy person? Why don't you fight back? And God calls us to be ready to give that answer. Of what? Of this hope that is in So when we begin to talk about this hope, it it poses two questions, and here's the two questions that we're going to try to answer this morning from the Scripture. Okay, Number one, what is this hope that Peter is talking about? In chapter one, he talked about Christ is the living hope. But what is this hope that he's talking about here? And number two, what is the reason for this hope? So number one, what is this hope? Let's really define that, and what is the reason that we have this hope? Let's pray real quick, and then we'll jump right back into the Word. Father, I pray that this morning that we realize that, uh, that we are a rebellious people. That, Father, that when we feel injustice against ourselves especially, maybe against our family, against those that we care for and love, that, Father, there is this rebellion, this push, and it is certainly not a push to submit to authorities that are over us. And yet, Father, you wrote this in a context where people could really put this right into practice. And, Father, even this very day, 2,000 years later, we see that this is still a struggle for us to live a life, first and foremost, submitted to you, and because of that submission to you, that we submit to others that are around us. So, Father, help us to identify this morning what this hope is, that more and more and more that we might be living examples of this hope. And, Father, that people would come to us scratching their heads going, what? Why are you reacting? Why do you, why are you so crazy? Why would you do this? And that we would be ready to proclaim that our defense is because you have called us. You have set the example in Christ Jesus. Father, show us these things from your word this morning as we pray all these things in, in his perfect name. Amen. What is this hope that Peter is talking about? Chapter 1, again, if you go back to First Peter, uh, First Peter 1, he calls Christ the living hope. And, and we said on, when we were discussing that, that there's two kinds of hope in this world. One kind of hope is based upon chance or what some people would call fate. Somebody has, uh, uh, you know, uh, a little um, raffle ticket. And if you buy the right raffle tri- ticket, they're going to give you a brand new Corvette. Okay. So so we pay our five dollars for the raffle ticket and hope that when they call that number at the end of the day that that's ours. Well, scientifically there is a real number. If there's a thousand tickets and you bought one, you have one in a thousandth chance. So I'm not saying that it's pure fate, but, but it's one of those things. That hope right there is what are your chances of really winning that Corvette? Given that example. One in a thousand, okay? And so there's no guarantee there. You've got a one in a thousand chance. And so a lot of times when we talk about hope in this world, we're talking about a hope that is kind of like, well, I hope it, you know, doesn't rain next week because I've got this planned. And we're talking about this is what we'd like to happen, but there's really no guarantee. There's nothing factual or scientific that we can say, okay, but this will happen. We're just kind of hoping. And it, may, it opens us up to that maybe there's just fate going on out there. Well, I, I'm telling you, I don't believe in fate. I believe in a sovereign God, that every piece of cosmic dust is under his control. And I don't always understand why God does the things that he does. But I do believe that he ultimately is in control. So that's one kind of hope. I just hope this happens. The other kind of hope, and the, what we saw Peter talking about, is a hope that is based on truth. And we use the example, and I think is a relevant example for many of us, not too many people were able to go get your house the very first day and said, okay, here's how much it is, here's the check. I don't know if you've ever been able to do that. Carly and I have never been able to do that yet. Okay, we just go and say, okay, here's the check. We now own the house day one. Now, most of us are in this agreement that for the next 15, 20, 25, maybe even 30 years that we'll pay monthly this amount and at the end of that time, you will say, you now own the house. That we consider ourselves owners of the house. How many of you are living in a house right now that you are paying for in, in some kind of monthly payment, but you would consider yourself that that's your house? Okay, you're practicing this kind of real hope. In one way, you really don't own that house, do you? You still owe this amount of money. But because you've entered into this agreement You're making this methodically, and at the end of that agreement, you expect that bank to be able to come over there and say, here's your title, here's your deed. You own this house. But you do it faithfully every month. Why? Because you really believe that, whoever the mortgage company is, that they're going to keep their end of the, the bargain. In other words, it's a hope that's not fully realized yet, but it's one that you have put tremendous faith. How many of you would take your money right now whatever savings you have. And if there was a new bank on Highway 11, and it was just an old dilapidated house, and out front, written in chalk, Jack's Bank, how many of you would withdraw $30,000, 40000 $50,000, your, your life savings, $100,000, and you've got your life savings, and you would take it down to old Jack, and say, man, we saw your bank, I was driving by, here's my life savings. And one thing we do, we're very careful about this. And when we make decisions, especially with our finances, we make sure, even though it's a hope, it is very much a calculated hope. Do you understand that? Would you agree with that? That where you place your money, how you buy your house, how you do different things, that that's a calculated hope? That's what very much Peter is talking about. This living hope. It is not fully realized. We do not see the end. We know the promise of heaven. We know that we are children of the living God if we have put our full faith and trust in the finished work of Christ. We know that. And yet, are we still open to all kinds of upset? Are we still open to all kinds of disappointment? Are we still open to the vulnerabilities of living in a fallen and broken world? Yeah. And here, there's there's the friction, guys. There's the stretch. I have no doubt I'm a child of the living God. Not because of any merit in me, but because of what Christ has done for me. And yet I still contend with the flesh. I still contend with my fallenness. I still live in a fallen world. There's days that every day we look around us and we, we see brokenness all around us and we're reminded of this. And yet I know that one day, guess what? I'm going to reside with him forever and ever and evermore. It's a faith that is very calculated, (laughs) that is, in the promise of God's word and the promises of God, and yet it's not fully realized. That faith between living right now in all the tension of this world and the finished calling of Jesus Christ and the finished product of of living with Him forever and ever. That gap is the tension that you and I and that's where uh, Peter says here, man, I I want you to submit and that's why in one way we're going, okay, but God asked me to do it so I want to do it and yet here's the realities of why I just don't want to submit to my boss, I don't want to submit to my husband, I don't want to submit to this, that and the other and all these things that we've seen. So, what is this hope? Look back at verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Rhetorical question? Calculated question? How do you think Peter asked this? And you can speak out if you, if you have an opinion. Now who's there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? It may not be 100% rhetorical, but very much he's leading us to, to an answer. And what do you think? The answer is, okay, you do good, and you, especially if you're, that's that he says the word zealous. If you're zealous for good. He said, man, if you're zealous for good, and again, he doesn't quote a number here, this is me. This is the pastor making commentary aside from the word of God. He said, You know, there's a 95% chance that you're not going to get pushback if you're just doing good. For example, let me give an example from iServe. A lot of us are familiar with iServe. Uh, you know, thousands and thousands of pounds of food going out three times a month now to people in our community that need food. And a couple weeks ago, I guess, uh, Sherry, what has it been like three months now that the new one in Athens? and uh, somebody actually said that there's uh, had a little bit of a complaint of of where they were gathering and the noise and all that kind of stuff kind of came out there and I asked Jeff because Saturday was the the latest time and I said Well, I see you're not arrested I I see you're not in jail I I don't think Sherry had to go bail you out did anybody say anything this time he said no you know it it went well I'm hoping the truth of what Peter's saying here, he says, man, when they really see what you're doing, you're feeding people that need food. Even lost people. Even hard people. Even people that really wake up grumpy and go to bed grumpy. Well, look at that and say, you know, how can you really complain? They're doing good. So Peter starts off, he says, look, I want you to live a life of submission. And I want you to go out, and he equates the submissive life the things that he's already stated, as a good life, that this is a life of service. And he said, I want you to be zealous for it. I don't want you to just do it because you're told to do it. I want you to be zealous for doing good because who can bring really a charge against you? Anybody see this this week, uh, Tyler Perry. Do you see the, story, the news story? I mean, Tyler Perry's in the news a lot. Uh, he, now, again, you can say, well, he's got millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, but he doesn't have to share it. This past week, there was some tragedy where uh, the mother of these grown children died and it was a murder and uh, it was time to pay rent and they weren't going to be able to stay there. Tyler Perry came in, not only paid the rent and guaranteed that, guaranteed this mother is now passed and uh, guaranteed that the kids would have a college fund, this, that and the other. I, I don't know the spiritual standing of Tyler Perry, okay? I, I don't. I think he claims to be a Christian and certainly... I've heard time and time and time again that Tyler Perry has done these kind of things. And again, you can say, well, he has millions of dollars. Well, we can help too. Uh, Point being, I hear that, and I don't know anything about this man's spiritual standing with Christ. And I'm going, that's a pretty good man. At least he's doing a good thing there, that he's helping out these people in need. That's what Peter's talking about. He said, even in just the human flesh, you take the spiritual world aside, you are zealous for doing good. And he said, very few people are really going to have argument against that. Look what he says in verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, let's say that you're out there and you're really doing good, and yet there is that 5% or maybe even that 1% and somebody comes up and they're just complaining. We used to have the Easter service in, in Swanee, and in order to get out there, and I mean, it's a sunrise service, so you're kind of out there before sunrise, kind of the whole nature of that service, and we had groups that sing. and we had groups, you know, we, everybody, we'd have two to 3,000 people out there sometimes, and they would be singing there in the city park, and uh, there was one time that somebody said, well, you know, there is a noise ordinance And I probably shouldn't have said that. That was that's not really the spirit that Peter's talking about there. The way that I just that was Bobby. That was nothing but the flesh that said, okay, you know, because I'm going. Look, oh, man, we're just doing this for the community. We're not doing this for any reason. Just a whole bunch of churches getting together because we just want to praise God for what He's done, and we want to celebrate together as a community. Many, many faiths, many, many races, many, many people from all these different you know backgrounds and denominations, and we just want to gather. And thank God for what he's done. So I see the simplicity. I see the beauty of it. This person saw the loudness of it. And indeed, there is a noise ordinance law. And before sunup, up, you're not supposed to have that. What God's saying here is, look, man, every once in a while, you're going to run into somebody and they miss what you're doing. And they're going to strain at the gnat. They're going to go, you know, but you are in violation here. I mean, guys, you're going to run into people. There is going to be, and it, realize when I say the 5%, the 95% 5 that's Bobby's numbers. Nowhere in the Greek does it say 95% of the time, if you're zealous for good, it's going to work out. I'm just making up some statistics. But would you agree that sometimes we're going to run into people that even if you're zealous for doing good, they're going to find a problem with it? I mean, if you have to think really hard, just think of work. At work. At your vocation. <laughs> so what's Peter, Peter's instruction here? Look, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, okay, you're doing this for righteousness' sake. You're not doing this so you can be a good guy. You're doing this all because of the call of Christ upon you. You will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Kind of easier said than done. He said, "Man, just let it just let it roll off of you. Don't be troubled by it, because he said there's a guarantee here, and this is where your hope is guaranteed. This is what makes it different from fate, chance, and oh, I hope it's sunny tomorrow." He's talking about this kind of hope that is in solid, solidly embedded in concrete of truth. He said, "Here's the guarantee: people may oppose you, but God will bless you." Here's the whole thing, guys. Is the Christian calling in your life enough to avoid, or not to avoid, but to take any pushback, rebellion, or, or, or talk that people would have? Knowing that God's going to bless you? Is that reward enough to, to live maybe kind of in this day and time with a little bit of friction? A little bit of where, you know, they call you out or something like that? Because you believe that God truly is going to keep his word? that just like that bank that you're paying your mortgage to, that at the end of this time, the house is yours. And where God says, man, one day you're going to have every, you know, you already have every spiritual blessing, as Paul said in Philippians, in Christ Jesus, but one day it's going to be fully realized. There's the tension of this Christian faith. High calling. Again, I, I don't know of too many other words that I could preach that we would have a natural rebellion to, than submission. And yet this call is persistent. Submit, 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 submit. Offer the cause of Christ. The example of Christ leading the way. This is how he submitted, even to death, death on the cross. So he paves the way. And yet God acknowledges here, through Peter's writing, it's inspired by God, it's the truth of God's word, it's his word, he said, look, man, even if you do get pushed back, even if somebody, when you're zealous for doing good and you're doing the right thing and you're living the Christian life and somebody still comes up and pushes back against that, he said, don't fear them because here's your guarantee. God's going to bless you. doesn't say that that blessing is going to come tomorrow. doesn't mean that that blessing is going to be immediate. He says, I "Man, God's going to bless you. Folks, that's the hope. Our first question, what is this hope? That's the hope. That God ever keeps his word. Do you believe that this morning? I mean, I know the natural church answer is, Amen, yeah, amen, I I believe that. Do you believe it to the point of application in the way that you make decisions? Ultimately, that is what Christian faith is. It's taking those things that are unseen and actually live them out in the way that they really look like they are seeing. paying that mortgage every month because we really do believe that, that at the end of that term, that house will be ours. All this is based on uh, what Peter does is he, he borrows from the Old Testament. Last week we he quoted from Psalm thirty four. He doesn't quote from an exact text, but he uses a lot of the phraseology that's actually from Isaiah chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. And what was happening, this is when Israel and Judah were two different nations. The people of God were divided in two different countries there, two different nations. And the Assyrians were going to come against them. And so the nation of Israel, along with the Assyrians, said, hey... King Ahaz, who's the king of Judah. So, I mean, you, you need a covenant with us. You need to come with us so that we can stand against the Assyrians. King Ahaz, even though he's told by the prophet Isaiah, okay, you, you, you don't need to me making any pact with the Assyrians. He's torn. Because he sees this Assyrian army and he knows, man, they can blow us out he's got this promise from a prophet that says, okay, this is what God wants you to do. And he fills the tension between human fear and what appears to the eye and the promise of God. Is that not what you and I live on a pretty regular basis? That man, there's no guarantee it's going to work out immediately. And so by faith, we just need to do what God has called us to do. Peter references that here in this, as he's challenging these churches in Asia Minor. And he begins to challenge them. And, and he basically comes down to, says, Okay, are you going to put your trust ultimately in the hope of man or the hope of God? And this is, again, the friction of the, the Christian life. It's what we talk about repeatedly, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Because we can talk pie in the sky, guys. But the minute we leave, leave, leave here and we have to go out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, you're going to feel that friction. So I just assume that we deal with it in here with the truth of God's word and we see this high calling. Well, that's the first question. What is this hope? This hope is that there's no recklessness in God. we just saying reckless love. I realize that. Okay. That, that it was reckless by man's estimations. but But it was strategic. God already before the 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 world, he already had this plan of salvation. For Adam and Eve, Eve even sin, God already has a plan of salvation. God's not reacting and going willy-nilly on anything, guys. Second question. What is the reason for this hope? Look again at verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. The reason for this hope is that God has promised to bless it no matter what the earthly outcome brother, sister, I don't say that in a whole uh, in an old historical sense. brothers and sisters, this one. I-, I say that in a familiar sense. This is who we are if we're in Christ Jesus. Some days, guys, that's all you're going to have. Some days. It is, the wind is going to be blowing so hard against you that it almost seems as if God has abandoned you. And all you have is a future promise because there just doesn't seem, as much as you're looking around for present reality, all you're going to have. And that, that's what he's saying here. Man, don't fear man. Don't become troubled. Even on those days when it seems like the winds are blowing entirely against you, that the reason that we have this hope is because God is in control and God will bless it. He's the guarantor of that promise. He's not Fred's bank who just hung out a shingle and said, give me your money, I'll keep it safe. God's your guarantor. I was putting some money in some investments not too long ago and I looked and who has the A++ rating? I'm going, I'm not the smartest guy when it comes to all this, so I want to make sure that I I go to smart people. And part of my releasing some funds into investment was based on that they had had this fund for over 20 years, that they were an A++ company, that they had all these things. I still don't know. In fact, Friday was a really bad day with that investment if you followed the stock market at all. But it was one of those things. I don't know the ups and downs of that investment, but I kind of hedged my bet a little bit that this guarantee or this company has a track record of being there. Does that make sense at all? I'm trying to bring real-world situations into this mindset do you place your trust into the guarantee of God? Because when God calls you to submit this week at work and you are really feel like that there's an injustice, guys, the flesh is going to come up and say, this is unjust. And you're going to say, okay, do I believe what I really feel right now, that man is being unjust and I need to react in this way? Or do I believe the promise of God? He's my guarantor. that he said that even if it doesn't work out today or tomorrow or the next day, that He will bring blessings if I follow Him. Verse 15 again. But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord. It it, it has to come. It can't be just an action. It's an attitude that leads into an action that we honor Christ as the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to give a defense. In the NIV it says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. In the King James but sanctify the Lord in your hearts. In the Amplified Version, I love the Amplified Version, but in your hearts set Christ apart as holy, acknowledging Him, giving Him first place in your lives as Lord. Ultimately, it comes down do you trust God do you trust man? Do you trust your own abilities, your own sense of reasoning, or the promise of God? Here, we're about to close. When we live this life, that we're zealous for good. We're just zealous to do righteous and good things. A lot of times it's just going to work out. Because even if they're not on the same spiritual plane, they're going to go, man, I look at that I serve and maybe I'm not a Christian. And who's that guy that gets up on the table with the earrings and that bald head and starts saying all these things? And, and they may not relate to that at all, but then they see this family with three kids getting into the car with a, a bucky, of food and they're going, okay, that part makes sense to me. I don't understand the spiritual part, but I understand this other part. And so a lot of times, we're going to be able to be zealous for good and we're going to get agreement even from a world that doesn't understand maybe the total motivation there. But when we do get pushback and the world begins and and, and let's say that we follow through and we just follow through with what Christ tells us to do. Folks, we as Christians should be causing especially The lost world. And and I don't say that in a way of trying to degrade people that don't know Christ yet. Because I only know Christ because he revealed himself to me. But as, as we go out and we live this life, the lost world, those people that are unfamiliar with this call of Christ, should scratch their heads. You should cause, your life should cause people to scratch their heads every once in a while. Man, why is he doing that? Do, do, do you think Pilate scratched his head a little bit when he asked Jesus to defend himself and Jesus said nothing? What did Pilate say, guys? Do you not know that I have the ability to set you free or to sentence you to death? And Jesus the whole time was going, no, you don't. <laughs> I, I give my life freely, you know. But in Pilate, Pilate was figuratively scratching his head. Why is this guy... I've already determined that he has no sin in him. But he's not defending himself. This guy easily could defend himself. And yet Jesus sits there silent. And it calls Pilate to scratch his head. And Jesus said, I believe in the plan of my Father more than I put it in the fear of man. In other words, Pilate... You think you're in control. <laughs> you're not. Before the beginning of the world, this was ordained. That's what causes the world to scratch their head. And we see it every once in a while. Every once in a while, even on the news, you'll be able to see parents of murdered child go and, 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 and love on this, on the murderer, And say that they forgive him. That's a head scratcher, guys. You take one of my girls. I don't know that I'm making a beeline to go to you and tell you about Jesus. I might tell you about hell. Where do they making people scratch their head? Why? Because we live a life that is submitted to this will of Christ. And it's just going to make us do some odd things. He said, but here's your confidence. And here's the call that comes. When they scratch their head, have a ready defense. The verbiage there, the way that it's structured in the Greek, means always being ready for response. Every once in a while, we're asked a question. And we have to come to somebody and say, okay, I'll get back to you tomorrow. We do some research, we get our data together, and then we come back tomorrow and we say, okay, here's the reason. Have you had to do that before? That's not what he's talking about here. He said, I want you to live a life that is so connected to Christ, so believing in Christ, so filled with this hope that comes through Christ, that when somebody scratches their head and goes, Bradley, why do you? Man, that guy just, you shouldn't have put up with that. Man, you should have said this back. And they see this action of maybe humility or submission or whatever it is, that you have a ready defense. Not, okay, I'll get back with you tomorrow. You know, let, me, let me work up some scripture for you. For a man, I, I can only say this, because this is what God has called me to, and he gave the example of Jesus Christ. And that's what Peter finishes out this third chapter with, the example of Jesus Christ. We used this word before, Apologist. And we think of the R.C. Sprouls, the C.S. Lewis's, and all these men with a brain this big. And yet in verse 15, if you are a son and daughter of the living God, if you've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian this morning, God has called you to be an apologist. That's what he just did in verse 15. Be ready to give an answer for this hope that is in you. doesn't mean that you need to know big theological words. In fact, most of the time you probably don't need big theology. You simply need to have the faith of a child. Children can really humble you. I can remember my daughter one time. Why don't we do this? Because didn't we pray that we asked God to do that? Let me explain to you that, yeah, we pray about things, but we're not really serious about our prayers, that God's going no, you know to... If you have young children, you've probably, if you've prayed with them before, they're just going, well, Mama, we prayed. And they're just counting on God doing God's thing. And it's not really filled with a lot of the complexity that we get as cynical older people. And in a way, that's what he's calling us back to. Man, just be ready. Just be ready. Give an answer to this hope that's in you. And it means that, number one, that somebody is scratching their head. They see this hope in you that you're just living it a little bit different in times that you should have lost it, that you're submitting, you're humble, you're quiet. And God says, be ready to tell them. It's not because you're just a really patient man. It's because you're filled with the very spirit of the living God. Let's pray together this morning. Father, What a high calling for us to be called to be apologists. To give a ready defense of the hope that is in us. And yet, Father, we don't have to be theologians. We don't have to have all the answers. Father, we just need to be putting our faith and our trust in you. And you will, Father, bring about some situations where people are going to scratch their head and they're just not going to be able to put it together because two plus two isn't going to equal four in their minds, in their because they just don't have that spiritual ability to see why, this ball headed guy will get up on a table and say, man <laughs> we want to give away 28,000 pounds of food this morning to our community and we're going to do it again next month and the next month and the next month and the next month so Father when they look at us strangely, if, if there is that, that, that part of people that are going to say, I, I don't understand why you are doing what you're doing, Father help us to just in childlike faith to give a ready response and that we would always point back not to our valor, not to our courage not to our muscle but father the example in the finished work of Jesus Christ he is our hope and he's our living hope Father, I pray for those this morning that are really, they're trying, they're zealous for good. They're really trying to be zealous for good. And yet, Father, they're facing opposition. They're facing discouragement and disappointment. Father, encourage their hearts this morning. Father, help them to continue to be zealous for good. And give them such a belief that even if the blessing doesn't come today, that, Father, the blessing is going to come because you're the guarantor of that blessing. We love you, Father. And we're so thankful, Father, you have not abandoned us in this fight, but, Father, you are leading the way. We thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit, Father, that fills us. And Father, all these things we ask of you. In the beautiful name of Christ, amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www dot corner dash stone dot org or find us on Facebook.